Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Sports Tyler Jones, and we're so glad to have you with us. Coming up on today's show, going to be joined by Tim Brando of Fox Sports. We'll get Timmy B's thoughts on the ever-changing world, college football and college athletics, uh, as we'll get his take on realignment. Also talk some Big 12 football when Timmy B joins us coming up. Uh, also, Coach Bo is going to be here with uh, the football fix, as we'll uh, get his opinions on uh, what's going on there, the college football scene, NFL preseason, some notable transactions with Dalvin Cook and Ezekiel Elliott. Among others, we'll get into that. Um, and uh, we'll have Tom Fulmery as well coming up uh, later on. But before we get to any of that, joining me for a uh, good amount of today's show, Derek Haglund is uh, hanging out in the top of bridges this week, holding things down. Derek, I got to ask you this. I'm very curious how you feel one way or the other here. We're a week into the oh, season now. We have, uh, what is it, a week until week zero begins in college football. Is football back? Can we say football is back, or does there actually have to be full-time regular season football for football to be back? Would you define football as being back yet? Well, I think I have a unique advantage point because being in Kansas City, Andy Reid plays his starters at least – uh, in two of the preseason games. So you're not getting the full amount of the starters and the stars like, like you would during a regular season game like you will for the Chiefs on September 7th when they open up uh, and and play the Detroit Lions on national television on that Thursday night. Um, you know, high schools are back. They're practicing. Uh, you know, my roommate is a is a defensive coordinator at our our former alma mater high school um i would say it's definitely starting to smell like football which um before you can have football you have to have that in the air um i hate yeah i I hate when people are like the hall of fame game it's like look we've got like a week and a half before we have actual other games and we actually start seeing other people that like are going to be on this roster and contribute in a major way like yeah it's cool that zach wilson gets to start you know the hall of fame game and doesn't look terrible like he has his first two years of the uh, in the league but you know you're not getting aaron Rodgers, you're not getting garrett wilson in those type of games so i hate when i hear things like that i want to see guys who are gonna you know at least have solid contributions and have a major role potentially on a roster um play in a preseason game you know it was good to see patrick mahomes play a series um in, in, in Sunday's game against the, the Saints, but it's not fully back. I would say we're right. inching. I would say football is officially back when week zero for college football kicks off because that weekend also you're wrapping up the last week of the NFL preseason. Um, you're gearing up for the Thursday night game that will come up. Like we right. said, you know, you're, you're getting close to where you get a little bit. Um, I believe Notre Dame Navy is is a week zero game over in ireland that'll be awesome um you know sam hartman era starting early uh for the irish but you know i think that to me really signals okay like we've got games that matter um and everything and and high school football is usually kicking off around then you know kansas uh and missouri both start uh have their games officially next week uh first week of the season yeah i'll say this as far as football being back goes, this isn't football season yet. This is what I call talking season. This is 
where we still get our last takes in there. We're hoping to hear from our favorite coaches or favorite players, how camps are going and all that and their expectations for the year. This is still talking season right now. Um, but football season will be here soon. I think week zero is, is kind of a good gauge of that. I mean, I think about it this way, Derek. Week one of the preseason, I watched a decent amount of football. Yeah. I was excited just for something, some meaningful football to an extent, to an extent, just to see some live game action. But now, like, I could not give a rat's ass about the next two weeks of the preseason. I'm like, enough of this. I couldn't care less about the next two weeks of the preseason. And, and those week zero college football games, I'd much rather watch than see the the third stringers for the Miami Dolphins play. Like, I, I don't care. Give me I, – I got it in my veins now. I'm excited. Now give me the real thing. It's it's uh, it's like crack, you know. Like, you, you, you had a little bit of it, the gateway drug or whatever. Now, now I want the real thing. Well, you know, to uh, to quote on from uh, Wedding Crashers, you know, let's play a game, just the tip. Um, that's kind of what uh, what you're getting right now. Um, I am excited to watch the Chiefs preseason game this weekend because I do think the starters are going to play a little bit more. I felt like, too, them as a team came out a little bit flat on both sides of the ball, especially with the starters um, against the new Orleans saints. Granted, they only played a series. Um, I thought you saw some things obviously with, with Chris Jones, not reporting yet, you know, that's getting to the point where, okay, dude, like you're still under contract this year. We understand that you want a new contract and they want to try to get that working out, but you're getting to the point where you're being detrimental to your team and hurting your team and your teammates. So you need to get in, in my opinion, into camp on that. Um, but after that, I really won't care because, like you said, Tyler, I, I'll watch this weekend of the preseason where hopefully the starters will play more for some of these teams, uh, especially the Chiefs. And then week zero starts and it's, you know, all right, let's go. Let's, let's, get, the, let's get the foot on the accelerator and, and get this thing going to the middle of February. You bring up the holdouts, um, Chris Jones being one. The two most notable right now, him and Josh Jacobs, and I know both guys want to get paid. Nick Bosa. And Nick Bosa as well. Those yeah. three. But very different situations. I think Bosa and Jones are similar where the expectation is that they will get paid eventually. Yeah. And they will end up still with the teams they're playing for. I think we'd be surprised if the Niners moved on from Bosa or if the Chiefs ended up moving on from Chris Jones. In Josh Jacobs' case, Derek, the Raiders are such a dumpster fire and such a disaster, and running backs aren't getting paid right now. Josh Jacobs, he might still sit out for who knows how long, might end up getting traded, whatever it may be, but you look at where the Raiders are at. That team is so bad and has no talent around that team and is so dysfunctional and everything here. Like I think he's the most likely to get, get traded, but I also think he's the most likely to sit out as well. Yeah, I. it's just so hard, especially from the running back position, because of the fact that they are so underpaid um, in in today's NFL. Like, I can remember, you know, when running backs were paid more than quarterbacks, um, because that's what you thought that you needed to be able to have success in the NFL was to have a successful running game. If you can't run the ball on first and second down, it doesn't matter what uh, defenses are going to be able to do when they know you're throwing on third down. 
So the game has obviously evolved in the last 25 years in, in that regard, but it's just so hard for Josh Jacobs, in my opinion, for a guy to walk away from a let from 10 and a half, 11 million dollars. But then next year, also, you don't get to go into free agency when you want to try to cash in. My approach has always been, especially when it comes to the running back position, unless you are a guy like Christian McCaffrey, who I know is going to get close to 2000 all purpose yards and can get me almost 100 receptions from the running back position. I don't believe in paying running backs a ton. Austin Eckler is up there a little bit, um, but he's not Christian McCaffrey. He's not the player that, that CMC is. That's the only guy, if he were on my team, I would ever consider giving major money to the running back position. I agree. Um, and Josh Jacobs, you know, in, in his case, the, the Raiders, I know we mentioned the dysfunction and everything, but, it's going to be the same situation almost everybody else. Like, who is if if Dalvin Cook wasn't getting a long term deal on the open market, right? He's given Josh Jacobs. Nobody's given Saquon Barkley. That I mean those those days are just finished. They're just, they're just done. Like Josh Jacobs is going to have the same problem anywhere he goes. If the Raiders trade him wherever he goes, he'll be lucky if he gets a two or three year contract. Yeah, and I mean, you're looking at this is your second contract is the one where you can have you know life changing money in in that area, and you know what is he going to get? What I, I do think running backs deserve to be paid a little bit more than than what they currently make for sure, um, but you know the overall impact. What is it you're going to do? Like me personally, I I mean I can say this like from the from from the Chiefs perspective. I don't care who runs the ball. I think Andy Reid's always going to be able to find a way to scheme open and and be able to run the ball efficiently. But I would rather put Buku money into, um, you know, protecting Patrick Mahomes, protecting the quarterback. Because if you if you're not protecting your biggest asset and your most important player, then you're 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 shit out of luck and you're upstream without a paddle. Yeah, I mean, think about this. Who were the two last running backs that just got signed this week? Ezekiel Elliott and Dalvin Cook. And yeah. the both teams, the situations they're watching walking into, Derek, neither one of them have great offensive lines. Like, okay, I mean, nice assets yeah. to have. I, I liked both signings, but like, why aren't you taking care of the offensive line? And 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 one of those teams has somebody, in my opinion, who is not a proven offensive coordinator in Nathaniel Hackett. Um, I, I do believe more in Bill O'Brien in New England. But, yeah, I mean, you, you have to be able to invest in the offensive line. I, I read an article today um, by, by Warren Sharp, and he made a phenomenal point of one of the biggest reasons that the Kansas City Chiefs since 2018-2019 have been able to play in three – Super Bowls and win two was because of the because of what they did uh, with the changes to the offensive line after Super Bowl 55 when the Bucks kicked their ass. The Bills have not made that adjustment, and that's why they have not been able to get past um, the divisional round. And I, I think we're starting to see more of a shift, too, of, okay, hey, these quarterbacks are now making so much money, whether it's Justin Herbert, Jalen Hurts, um, you know, Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow is going to be the next guy to get that that huge contract. If you don't have him available and aren't paying guys to protect him and and be around, 
it doesn't make any sense to pay him because if you can't protect him, there's a high probability that you might not have him. Right. Absolutely. No question. Um, Derek, let me ask you this. Uh, of this first week of the NFL preseason, who do you think was the, the biggest winner, whether it was a, a player or coach or team or whoever it may be, who stood out to you this week? As much as I – I hate to say it. I think the biggest winner to me was Derek Carr with the New Orleans Saints. I was very curious as to see how he was going to fit in with that offense. Um, and he looked very comfortable. I, I didn't see a guy who at times when, um, you know, he was with the Raiders, he would get happy feet and 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 try to, you know, evade the pocket or throw the ball away or, or do anything like that. I You didn't see that as much. Um, in just the limited time that he played in New Orleans. And and I think the Saints will be a playoff team. I think they're going to win that. Um, I think they're going to win that division. Um, they've certainly got the best quarterback in that division right now in, in Derek Carr. Um, and and who knows what, what New Orleans could do. But I think they actually, especially with that defense, um, might surprise some people. Michael Thomas looked healthy. Um for, for the first time in a long time with the injuries that he's been battling in the last three years. So I was really impressed with, with, with the saints. That's a good choice. Um, Derek, I, I don't think it's, it's going to last though. I, I don't trust Derek Carr at all. I think that team is going to be a mess. Um, I, I don't have high expectations at all uh, for Derek Carr or that organization. It, it, it feels like to me, Every time Derek Carr cashes a paycheck, the guy's stealing money. I don't believe in that organization or that team at all. I know they got some decent talent there, but uh, that that coaching staff, I, I would not trust them to feed my dog. I mean, like they, they make so many mistakes and step in their own way here. And Derek Carr's inconsistency, it, it feels like it's only a matter of time before that thing blows up. Yeah, th there is that. But I also want to say this, too, and, and this is switching to to a, just a person in general. I, I think the biggest winner just individually was DeMar Hamlin for playing and coming right. back for what yeah. he went through in January where he almost died um, and, and getting the clearance to be able to come back and play a game, um, you know, that he loves and means so much to him. I, I was really blown away with how comfortable he looked playing because I mean, you're talking about, you know, last time you had on pads, you, you were fighting for your life. And so to be where you're at, I would say DeMar Hamlin was the biggest winner um, of the weekend, but team wise, I would go with the saints. Yeah. Loser wise. I think the biggest loser had to be Trey Lance. Trey Lance looked awful. Oh. Um, and I think Derek, all of us, even before that game knew that, Time is winding down for him in San Francisco. Here was an opportunity against a bad Raiders team to go audition, to go prove yourself and attract a team to potentially make a trade for you and maybe get a chance to potentially compete for a starting job elsewhere. He did not look the part at all. That San Francisco 49ers team played terrible. Um, Trey Lance, it might be over. I mean, that that – Ship might have sailed on his NFL career at this point in time. And it's a damn shame because the guy's only started, what is it, five games at this point? And, you know, yeah. he's hurt so much and everything here. I mean, 
it might be over with already for Trey Lance. Yeah, he did not look comfortable at all um, on 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 Sunday. And I mean, I understand, like you know, the last time you were on, you were on the field in a competitive situation, you, you got your ankle snapped. But um, you know, he looked like a guy who, when he was coming out, everything that everybody was saying, every scout, you know sometimes you know lack the mechanics footwork would would get thrown off isn't always there that's a lot of what was said about him when he was coming out of north dakota state yes it is uh it definitely is uh, before we move on any other losers come to mind from this week oh uh lo- losers i i would say the arizona cardinals uh i i just i i struggle to see and i know kyler's going to be out for a while um, I would say the Arizona Cardinals and the Denver Broncos. I, I would probably lean more so the Denver Broncos because I watched um, the game when the, the Broncos starters were in there. And I know there are a lot of people that think that Sean Payton might be able to, um, you know, fix and save Russell Wilson. And, man, he's sure getting a lot of money to be able to to try to do that. I, I, I struggle to see if Russell Wilson's ever going to be anywhere near the type of player that he was um you know in years previous yeah um with the cardinals you mentioned kyler murray i'll bring this point up real quick um uh, a guy i i know you know well dan graziano uh put out an article this week at espn uh saying that he thinks that the cardinals at the end of this year are going to trade kyler murray and take either caleb williams or drake may and be their quarterback of the future and I'll say this, Derek, like, I, I I totally get where Dan's coming from, but they're paying Kyler a lot of money. I don't see very many teams, if any, wanting to take on that contract. And on the flip side, too, I'll say this personally, I'm probably more optimistic than most people are about Kyler Murray. I think Kyler could be a, still a, a great quarterback in this league, and when he comes healthy, when he gets healthy, hopefully everything works out for him and he turns a corner and all that but like i understand where dan's coming from and, and that very well could happen but there's a lot of moving parts before we we get to that point right yeah and 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 that's what i don't understand especially when 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 they just gave kyler such a big contract extension and that's a riff that hasn't really made a lot of sense in terms of what all was going on, you know, obviously Cliff Kingsbury is not there anymore, but um, you know, I've always been a Kyler Murray fan since he was at Oklahoma, but I do believe Caleb Williams has a brighter future um, than Kyler does just because Kyler has been so inconsistent the last two years or like at least especially last year, he was very, very inconsistent. Um, I I think that he was banged up towards the end of the 2021 season when they kind of limped into the playoffs and then lost to the eventual Super Bowl champion uh, LA Rams in the, in the wild card round. But um, to me, my question would be then why did the hell did you give him that big contract extension? If you didn't see this guy being, being with you now, granted, again, we go back to, uh, the part where this new regime of, you know, uh, Jonathan Gannon and their their new GM were not the ones who drafted, developed, and then signed Kyler to this extension. Right. Yeah, it's a great point. 
Uh, moving on now, let's talk some of the uh, conference realignment stuff, starting with the Big 12. Uh, Derek, uh, we heard from Brett Yormark this week say that the Big 12 is done for now. They're settled in on 16 teams. They're not interested in taking uh, UConn and Gonzaga as basketball-only members, not going to dive in and take any of the remaining Pac-4. ACC could potentially have it down the road, but as things are, Derek, Big 12 did everything right. They got what they wanted. And the UConn-Gonzaga thing, there, there's no urgency there. The, the, the TV contract's yeah. not up for a few more years. Those schools aren't really going anywhere uh, compared to with the four-corner schools. You had a situation where with those four-corner schools, clock was ticking. You had to do something, um, you know, you had a timeline to me, and there was money available. With UConn and, and with Gonzaga, you would be taking money out and, and not have a pro rata share in, in the revenue pie to add those two schools. So with, with that said, I, I like your Mark's approach. Settle down for now. We'll reevaluate things later. I, I think the league is, with everything that happened the last few weeks, I would I'd give them an A plus. I think they did everything that they needed to do and are in a, a position of strength going forward. Yeah. So let me start with the Gonzaga Yukon thing. That was just going to be strictly for basketball only because Gonzaga doesn't do right. um doesn't have a football program. So I would not have agreed with them coming in too and just being basketball only members and maybe getting close to that pie. Um of, of what the big 12 now gets of the 31 and a half million dollars per school that you have in the conference. I don't agree with, with that. And I think Gonzaga would lose a lot of the luster, especially nationally, if they played in a legitimate basketball conference, like the big 12, the big 10, or even the pac 12 um, to a certain extent, because they would be tested almost night in and night out, especially if they joined um, the big 12. I, I believe that same true, saying um about UConn I there's no question that that UConn was the best team this year in the tournament no one will argue that um UConn deserved to win that national championship uh but you know there's a difference between having to play Georgetown and a down Villanova team that does a down Villanova program that does not have Jay Wright at the helm and Seton Hall and all these other programs to where you're not playing you know, potential blue bloods like there's going to be now in, in, in the big 12 with Kansas, Arizona, you know, Arizona States had, had some good history um, over the years, you know, Colorado's made NCAA tournament appearances in the last um, few years with Tad Boyle as, as, as their head coach. So I'm glad Brett, you're more backed off of that, but he also said on a podcast too, he said, he goes, he goes, the reason we're, we're backing away from those talks with the, them is because the perfect situation and scenario literally fell in our lap and we were able to right. to control of it and i think what a lot of people don't understand is tyler if we rewind the clocks you know into 2010 2011 i will say this for the record i had hair back then um in <laughs> in but when the Pac-12 was talking about rating Big 12 teams because Colorado left to go to the Pac-12, and then obviously Nebraska left to go to the Big 10, Missouri left, and Texas A&M left to go to the SEC. Everybody thought the Big 12 was going to fall apart. Fortunately, Oklahoma and Texas stuck together, but the Longhorn Network ultimately killed and broke apart what the Big 12 
was um, from the beginning to what it was in 2011 to what it is now. What's killed the Pac-12 is they were never able to get the Pac-12 network on direct TV when they were trying to get that thing off the ground. And right. a lot of people stay up very late watching um, the West Coast football games. Now, there are a lot of people who, you know, in, in the early 2010s when Oregon was very good and played for two, th- two national championships over a five-year period, people paid attention to that. But since then, you know, Stanford had Andrew Luck. USC is, has been hit or miss uh, at times. You know, it seems like USC is getting back to what they were. But if you're a school, like you said, the four corners, Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah, $20 million a year to stay in the Pac-12 for the grant of rights or $31.5 million for, um, to come to the Big 12. That's a no-brainer. There's not anything else can offer to them that was going to be better than that. And that's why Colorado decided to leave to come back to the big 12, it was, Hey, we've always had a standing offer to come back, to go back to the big 12. Uh, this kind of sucks right now. And we can kind of see the writing on the wall. All you guys. And, and the, the timing of, we have to do something now. We can't get stuck in another TV contract with the pac 12, have to do something. The sense of urgency. And, you know, as as far as the, Situation the basketball that, element goes. Uh, yeah, Brett Yormark has you know put a big emphasis on basketball, and I get that, and and I think that he is right on what they're going to do to invest in basketball in the future, and that they want basketball to have its own TV contract. A lot of positives about that going forward for sure. But have in the NBA as your commissioner, correct. But with that said. That doesn't mean you have to take UConn and Gonzaga right now. Here's no. another element as far as if, if for your mark and his basketball ideas and all this. It's not if, but it's a matter of when the ACC is going to implode. And those yep. teams are going to be looking for homes and they qualify as Power 5 members for full revenue shares. So with that said, last time I checked, the ACC had some good basketball schools. So when that happens, Duke probably isn't going to get a Big Ten or SEC invite. There's a pretty good basketball program. Syracuse, Pitt, uh, Louisville. I mean, like, you can have your cake and eat it, too. The next step in conference realignment, Derek, I think the Big 12 can get quality Power 5 full-time programs, not have to settle for part-time programs like Gonzaga and UConn, and get elite basketball programs that can help the basketball contract too. I think that's the next step for this conference. UConn and Gonzaga were fallback options. They weren't bad fallback options, but there's bigger fish out there. Well, I I think if you're the SEC, like it's what's, it's so funny with, with what Florida state is doing is because they are so pissed off that they're in the ACC and UCF now is going to make more money than them by going to the big 12. Um, Yeah. Significantly more. Um, But that's what happens, you know, when you sign a shitty grant of rights deal um, like the ACC uh, agreed to, you know, I remember when, when Dabo Sweeney, they had yet to win a national championship. Yeah. And he said, you know, we have everything we need here to be able to be competitive and win a national championship at Clemson. He's right. 
I think football wise, the the next thing that they might try to get is um, that is in the SEC uh, is Clemson, Virginia, maybe North Carolina to be able to tap into those markets and have have those schools because they have such, you know, some some good football pedigree um, and history and then obviously basketball. But uh, it's going to be very, very interesting to see what will come of that, because you know, yes, basketball is the second most popular sport and the most second most revenue generating sport, but um, you know, it doesn't drive people the way and and money the way that that football does. You know, I'm excited for Kansas and Arizona. I'm excited for Kansas and Arizona State um, to be a regular thing because I think those are good additions um, for for basketball. But you know if you're ESPN or if you're the SEC and, and you literally have uh, the, the SEC and the ACC on, uh, on your, your broadcasts, why are you going to go and give Florida state more money just to join the SEC? It, it doesn't make sense mathematical wise or dollars and cents wise. Uh, for some reason, Florida state's the thinks the best way to, go about things is just throwing a big damn hissy fit and seeing what will happen. That's not necessarily, in my opinion, the right approach to go about it. No, I mean, Florida State's upset. And, you know, if they were to, let's say that all the legal stuff worked out magically somehow, some way, shape, or form, they got out of their grant of rights. Okay? Right. Well, they're not an academically prominent institution. Let's just be real with y'all. The Big Ten no. probably not calling Florida State. Uh, I don't think AAU school either. They're not. Yeah. Um, if the Big Ten's going to Florida, they're going to Miami. Uh, that's who their phone call is. And so yes. then at that point, if you're a Florida State, you're like, okay, we could try to go to the SEC, but then why would ESPN let us go to the SEC when they're getting us at a discount? And then there's the Big 12, which would be a pay bump, but like, okay, I mean, doesn't necessarily move the needle a ton from where they're already at. So Florida State, you know, they can gripe and complain and all they want. I do think they're eventually going to leave the ACC, but that situation's not getting any better anytime soon for them. I mean, they 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 made their bed and they got they got to sleep in it. Yeah, and I don't see how any new grant of rights deal with them is going to get better. Um, I I don't think anything can be signed to where that's going to make. No, they're uh, stuck till twenty thirty six. Yeah, and and so I think that's when the next big moving and shaking happens is when uh, twenty thirty six rolls around. I, honestly, I I think we're going to see Notre Dame have to join a conference too when the college football playoff expands to twelve, because if they want to have an automatic berth or uh, have the opportunity to get a buy, uh, on that first part you have to you have to be a part of a conference, and Notre Dame is not, so they can get rid of that stupid ass shit of, you know, being an independent and this that and the other and playing a tough schedule. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens from there well, when they they have to make that decision. Let me add a point to that, uh, what you're saying here. Um, that all makes sense where you're coming from, except the Notre Dame AD at the time, Jack Schwarbert, is one of them that helped write up the blueprint for this expanded playoff. Um, so that was in mind. That was a stipulation Notre Dame was willing to take. 
But what I would say on the flip side, Derek, is if Notre Dame doesn't join a conference sometime soon, I mean, aren't we eventually going to get to a point where the Big Ten tells its members, like, hey, if Notre Dame is not going to join this conference, don't schedule Notre Dame. You can't play them. Or the Big 12 or the SEC, and especially, like, if the SEC and the ACC go to nine-game conference schedules, then you have a limit in how many non-conference games you can schedule at that point. Like, I think that's what's one day. Maybe it's not next year. Maybe it's 10 years from now. To me, I think that's ultimately what it comes down to, why Notre Dame will eventually join a conference. And I think it's the Big Ten because I think it's going to be an ultimatum. They're going to have no one left to play uh, because these conferences are going to say, you know what, why are we helping Notre Dame out? We're just not going to schedule them. And I could absolutely absolutely see that. And I think that that is something that needs to happen because – um, you know, I think a lot of people are just tired of dealing with Notre Dame shit. Like I'm tired of, of having to deal with their fans because I think they forget that, you know, 1988 or 1989 was a very, very long, long time ago. Yes. Yes. They indeed. haven't winner. And even, you know, since then, um, and, and whatnot. So very, very interesting to see where things go from there. Um, Derek, one more note before we bring in Tim Brando here. I want to ask you, I know you you got boots on the ground there and and uh, Lawrence about uh, this uh, stadium expansion and all the money they're putting in. And the thing that stood out to me, Derek, when, when I was reading about this and everything, is not only are the plans in place and it looks beautiful, the district they're trying to build around it and everything with that, but they already have a significant amount of dollars raised to get this project started. Yeah, and and I think what they did was they capitalized off of the momentum that came with last year's un- unexpected success of, you know, Coach Lance Leipold and and Lance's Legion and everybody that followed suit. Uh, in that, especially when they were able to host College Game Day when Kansas was undefeated at five and zero and TCU was undefeated at five and zero. This is something that we've known for a long time that. Kansas needs a new stadium. The Wi-Fi there sucks. You know that. I know that. Oh yeah. Um, toilets are an absolute disaster. The concessions are an absolute disaster. It, it is not a. It's not anywhere near a modern stadium. This is is something more than just a facelift needed to be done. But it's hard to raise the money and do those type of things when your program for fourteen years was so bad. And then Lance Leipold comes to town and yes, he came from Buffalo, but you're talking about a guy who's a program builder who, you know, saw the way that college football was transitioning to, to where you've got to have the facilities, you've got to have the weight room, you've got to have the locker room. You can recruit anybody and get anybody to commit anywhere. But if you don't have the facilities and the stuff that kids are interested in, you don't have a chance in hell of getting any of them. You have, um, and so, you know, you've got to always too um, have a, have an athletic director who's forward thinking. I think Travis Goff is that, you know, Tyler, we remember when Travis Goff got, got hired in terms of, okay, Hey, you know, was he going to hire a football coach because he got hired shortly before he hired Lance Leipold uh, from when Travis Goff was coming from Northwestern. And he had a list of, of head coaching candidates for football, that he was interested in. And obviously we know that, that Jeff Munkin and, and 
from Army and Lance Leipold were were a part of that list, and he ultimately made the right hire in, in bringing in Lance Leipold. But just what this is going to do for not only just the stadium in terms of giving it the update that it's needed for a while, they've already finished the locker room and the weight room, which was huge. Um, that needed to be done too. But you're going to add in the stadium that project that's going to take two years and the district that's going to come around it it's going to be so good for the football program enrollment everything else but not only that it's going to be so great for the lawrence community and yeah. everyone will get to see what a special place lawrence is no doubt and you know i'll, I'll say this uh one more thing before we bring in timmy b here um i actually obviously travis goff deserves a lot of credit but the one thing, the one thing Jeff Long did right when he was AD before Travis Goff, um, you know, he took over, obviously, from Shanzinger. We've been through the ADs at, at Kansas over the years. And Shanzinger, yeah. his, his last thing that he did to try to save his ass was put together a stadium fundraising project, and they – they put out these these templates uh, of what the stadium was going to look like, and it didn't look that great. It, it was like they were trying to model it uh, after K-State, like a copycat of K-State at the time. And yeah. when Jeff came in, uh, and, and, and Jeff, I'll, I'll say this, like I like Jeff as a person. I don't, I don't think Jeff's a bad guy, and he was always a great interview when he came on my radio show and everything. One of the things Jeff did right away was shut down the stadium project. He said, no, nah, we're not doing this right now. we got other priorities. we got to develop a, a football staff or a true football department. we got to get an indoor facility. we got to redo the Anderson football complex. We need to catch up to speed with the rest of the Big 12. Um, right. we're, we're in last in, in money spent in these areas. we got to catch up there first. And then we can take care of the stadium stuff. Jeff Long made the right call, laid the foundation, put those areas in place. And then when Jeff got the boot along with Les, that made things a lot easier for Travis Goff to have the templates in place to put people in the right positions. And now to go forward, this stadium project, um, Jeff, that, that was the only right thing he did, but, I know we've been wanting a stadium project for years and to get this this done, but Derek, the foundation, I'm glad it's taken care of first that you have a football staff that you can believe in and now the stadium to come with that. They got the football figured out first, invested in the yeah. staff before investing in the stadium. Well, and 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 not only that, I, I would say that that Kansas and Travis Goff faced their two biggest fears in one season last year. And that was the two job openings that Lance Leipold had the biggest and deepest rooted connections to were available. And they looked at him and he didn't end up taking it. Granted, he got a nice raise. The staff got a raise and, you know, he negotiated a lot of this stuff of this needed to be done and this needed to be upgraded, um, which is great to, to use that as leverage. If you want me to stick around, which I want to stay here, but you know, you've got to start, start, start doing this stuff for, for me um, and for our players and for the, for the program and everything um, being able to face 
the fact that Nebraska and Wisconsin had job openings and he did not go to either of those places, I think um, solidified after the fact that Kansas had faced their two biggest fears and they were able to get Lance to stick around and make the promise to these investments um, and these upgrades and everything that's going to happen. So he showed them faith in, in the university and they are in showing faith faith in him with everything that they are doing nothing to be fear but fear itself uh as they say great times ahead for the kids football program as well as the big 12 conference more to come with uh tim brando uh as we'll get his thoughts on what's going on with the realignment and also talk about the season ahead coach Bo also standing by as well we'll get his thoughts on uh everything that's happening in the nfl and in college football and then we'll get to Tom Fulry before we wrap up as well. More to come. Stay with us here at the Jones Sport. Joining us now on the Jones Sport this week, the much-anticipated return of Tim Brando <laughs> from Fox Sports. We've been trying to get this guy on for weeks as we've had so much going on in college football. The season is only a few days away at this point with the Week Zero games, and we're pleased to welcome him in right now. Timmy B., always a pleasure anytime we get the chance to chat. We might have a few things to talk about today. You think? <laughs> I, uh, I'm i just so happy um, to be able to talk ball. We're getting to a point now where we're close enough, that to, as you mentioned, to week zero. And Spencer and I are working uh, week zero. So we're in San Diego on Saturday with San Diego State and Ohio U to open our season on FS1, 7 Eastern, 6 Central, 4 Pacific. That's my shameless plug for the evening. And, but uh, I'm really happy to be able to talk ball because I, I, regardless of all the things that have happened, and there's a lot, and we'll probably spend more time talking about those things in the next uh, 20 minutes than, than we do about the games themselves. But, and understandably so, don't get me wrong. But one thing that we know, and you know this as a play-by-play broadcaster too, regardless of all of the tumult that's out there, uh, when toe meets leather and the games get going, most of that is in our rearview mirror. It's in our rearview mirror calling the game. I think most of the fans who have been yelling and screaming and stomping and whining and gnashing of teeth, uh, it'll be forgotten by them. Uh, even some of the uh, uh, bleeding heart liberal uh, writers that have been going nuts saying uh, nothing but death and doom for college football's future will no doubt be watching uh, with their eyes focused and their pins poised uh, for that byline and their story the next day. Because once the game starts, it's the game. That's what we love. And I don't think any of this is going to change the level of popularity or the level of interest that the college game has. Uh, and we just need to remind ourselves of that, I think, you know, with um, – with the games being only just a few days away. Yeah, I agree. And you talk about enhance and the right direction here. Timmy B, I know that we're going to see some rivalries die off and traditions end that have been going on for a long yeah. time. Yeah. I understand all that. And a lot of that's unfortunate. But you talk about interest and people watching. I'll be frank. Personally, I'd rather watch Oregon play Ohio State than I would play Oregon State. I mean, they're yeah. – yeah. More broader appeal there. I mean, at the end of the day, we're yeah. going to have to get better games here. 
Yeah, more games, better games. Uh, yes, all that. Uh, I will tell you that those of us in my generation that grew up on uh, the game being played and uh, territorial rights being such a big deal, I think that's probably the um, my, my generation and the way we were brought up in the game. I think that's the, the learning curve or maybe the patience needed for people 60 and older is going to be more difficult because they they still have these views of the way it was when when I was growing up and when I became a fan and when my dad and I were watching. And it's not like that anymore. I, I get all of that. But as I have to remind them, uh, and these are people my age and older, I remind them that nothing ever stays the same, not even sports, because why? Sports is a business, too. People forget that, that uh, college football is a billion-dollar, multi-billion-dollar business. And with, with all that in mind, changes have to occur. And it's up to us, uh, especially guys like me who love doing what we do, uh, broadcasting live sports television and specifically at the collegiate level, uh, it's up to us to adapt. Uh, and, and if we don't, you know, that boat's going to sail and somebody else is going to be, you know, in the captain's chair. I still want to be in that captain's chair when my broadcast begins and Spencer and I go on the air for the 25th year in the last 26 seasons. We've only not been together for one season, that being my first year at Fox in 2014 when he was still at CBS. I mean, I, I just I'm giddy at the thought of being back together with Spence and with my guys, Brett Bender, my spotter, Scott Alexander, my content coordinator, uh, and and my producer and director and and our crew that 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 deliver you know these three to three and a half hour broadcasts that uh, that mean so much to so many and 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 mean a lot to us because uh, it's what we do. So I'm gonna hold on to what's great about the sport, especially when I'm calling the game. But as you know, when I'm not calling the game and it's time to talk issues, I'm not going to mince words. I'm going to tell you exactly what I think, because if we don't uh, speak with uh, candid uh, or candor about the, the sport and where, where it's going and how it can get to where it needs to be uh, with as little, um, with as little trouble as we, could possibly anticipate, and there seems to be a lot of trouble out there now. We need to discuss that. We need the leaders right. to lead, and we we need the the communicators, people in my profession, to step up and and try to guide the fans uh, along the way so they can keep up. Because there's a lot going on, and it is tough keeping up with all these changes. I mean, it really is, and so yeah. we'll have to remind fans of that. Tim Brando, Fox Sports, joining us here at the Jones Report this week. Tim, you talk about the changes from the regionalization of the sport to the nationalization of the sport. I, I recall growing up, you know, turn on ABC, you didn't have a number one or number two or three broadcast team. It was all regional. Keith Jackson do the West Coast game. Yeah. You know, Brent Musburger did a lot of our Big 12 games and Brad doing or the big, ABC, or big 10. You know? yeah. 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 And like you'd have a different announcer for the championship every year because it was all based on region, you know, not based on right. – Right. You know, proxy, whatever. Now, I mean, right. you fast forward to today, and here we are without even West Coast representation for an entire conference 
I mean, a lot yeah. escalated in what is this 20, 30 years since that, since those days, do you see that being a problem for the future of the sport, not having a specific West coast power conference anymore? No, I don't see it being a problem because, uh, those teams are still playing. And as you mentioned earlier, uh, I'd rather watch uh, Oregon play Ohio State than Oregon play Oregon State. It's a sad but true fact, but I think most people that are outside the state of Oregon would feel similarly. Yes. Okay. And th- those are the masses. Uh, all politics is local. I get that. But college football is becoming more national. And it had to because it is the second most popular sport in America. Okay, more people, more eyeballs are on college football than on any other sport short of the NFL. And so uh, the people that are, are, are playing these games have to understand that for the amount of revenue that they're generating uh, and the money that's coming in from the networks, the games have got to get better for people to stay involved. You can't have... Uh, Blowout after blowout, exhibition after exhibition, glorified games being what they are. These games count. I know that. There's not an exhibition season, per se, in college football. But some of these games, especially those early, are unwatchable. And it's hurt, uh, the, uh, it's hurt the game. It's hurt the popularity of the game. Um, when you look at the behemoths and network broadcasting, both ESPN and Fox – uh, are leading the way, carrying the most volume of inventory. And if they're going to pay these kinds of dollars, they want to get as much bang for the buck as they can possibly get. We live in a capitalist society. It's, that's true for our industry as much as it is for anyone else's. And this is going to ensure, I think, not exactly this year because we still have the Pac-12 involved. And by the way, I think they're going to have a great year this the, the sad irony for the Pac-12 is this league is going to be probably better than it's been in 20 years this year with the depth and the talent, uh, the quarterbacks that are going to be playing for all these teams in what will be a, a, a final season really as, as we know it for, for Pac-12 football. But the bottom line is uh, college football has left a lot of money on the table for a long time. Now it's beginning to cash in. But when you cash in and you get these major television contracts, it comes at a price. And part of that price is getting better games. And as you mentioned, nationalizing the sport. Uh, we've, we've needed that for a long, long time. These intersectional games that we don't get to see nearly as much of, and we've been pining for them. You mentioned Oregon when they went into Columbus and beat Ohio State. That was a game changer. And, and people are like, give us more of that. Give us more of that. And now – the Big Ten has become the leader of nationalizing college football with both USC, UCLA, and now Oregon and Washington, two proud programs, both really over the last decade have been better than both USC and UCLA. Uh, they don't bring the same audience because they don't have the history and tradition of USC. Uh, they're not a blue blood, but Oregon has carried the banner for the Pac-12 for a long time. And Washington's been in the college football playoffs a hell of a lot more recently than USC has. So right. these these teams bring a lot of uh, credibility to the Big Ten. And the Big Ten was already, uh, you know, the second most powerful conference in America. 
Now you add these teams, and specifically these last two, Oregon and, and Washington, to USC and UCLA. My goodness, is that league going to be tough to win and, and tough to get bowl eligible in uh, in the future? So uh, I, I think that the rivalry between, and this is what's going to happen, the rivalry between the Big Ten and the SEC is going to be enhanced tremendously. Uh, because of these, you know, everyone knows that they are the big kahunas. Uh, the Big Ten doesn't have any crystals to show. All right. They haven't held up uh, any national championship trophies in a long, long time. Uh, you know, I think that was 2014 when Urban got it over Oregon uh, in the first year of the college football playoff. It's been a long time since the Big Ten's held up a crystal. Meanwhile, the SEC seems like they're, uh, they've got a, it's like a, you know, on recall. Get us this year's edition. We just keep holding up crystal after crystal. Right. So that that's going to be fun to watch develop. Um, and as we go to 12 teams, not this year but next, uh, having multiple teams out of both of those leagues and then seeing the Big 12, which really did steal the thunder from the Pac-12. If, if you really want to know why the Pac-12 is no longer – uh, relevant uh, beyond this season. Two reasons. Uh, Larry Scott drove them into a financial ditch with his network that uh, was not linked to any television entity, not to Fox, not to ESPN. He tried to do it on his own. They lost a lot of money. He drove them into a financial ditch. And then George Klyavkov, who came in after him, uh, found out that the ditch was so deep that he could not extricate it in time to keep Brett Yarmark from going to work and just lapping the field by, by not only adding the teams that he did out of the American conference and BYU, but striking that deal with Dion, which I thought was a fait accompli the moment Dion Sanders said he was going to Colorado. I thought they were headed to the big 12. He wanted to get into that Dallas Fort Worth metropolitan area to recruit. And then here comes Arizona, Arizona state, uh, and Utah to go with them. Uh, that's why the Pac-12 is out of business, uh, at least for now anyway, out of business after this season because they were beaten in the business world and they allowed the Big 12 to get a great linear TV deal with both ESPN and Fox and the financial landscape was dried up. The, the well had run dry for linear TV and all he could come up with was an incentive base digital only, not sure of how much money we'd make annually based on how do we know how many eyeballs we really got with digital TV versus uh, the rating system used for television and linear TV. And those presidents and ADs were not going to settle for that. They knew that they had options, either to go to the Big 12 or the Big 10, and that's exactly what they did. Tim Brando, Fox Sports Joe, I guess, here on the show support this week. Timmy B, let's talk about that Big 12 perspective of this league was left for dead when Oklahoma and Texas. <laughs> sure left, was. And now here they are with eight new members since mm -hmm. Oklahoma and Texas announced their departure. And what a strong lead league. Brett Yormark got what he wanted of a coast-to-coast -coast conference. And yeah. the playing field, too. This was already the best basketball conference. I know you're a basketball guy, too. Basketball <laughs> took a significant step up even further. Yeah. But football-wise, yeah. I'm looking at not only a lot of good programs, but pretty even here. I mean, yeah. 
Yeah. You could have years where Utah's one of the league, Oklahoma State, Baylor, K-State, yep. TCU. I mean, all these teams are going to be pretty close to each other. Yeah, they are. And uh, here's here's the other, th- the other thing that happened. When you lose, I mean, let's face it. Uh, sure, USC and UCLA leaving the Pac-12 for the – for the Big Ten was, uh, you know, a punch to the gut uh, for the Pac-12. And I, I will give those critics the nod when they say, and, and many of them have written it, you know, television's responsible, the greed factor. Um, Pat Forty wrote an article that I completely disagree with, but he's a good writer. He's somebody I respect. But don't tell me that Fox alone uh, – uh, and maybe even with some help from ESPN, conspired against the Pac-12. I don't believe that for one minute. I don't. Now, was it in Fox's best interest to to get both USC and UCLA uh, into the Big Ten? Yeah, I, I'll give you that. Good. <laughs> it's good for their business, which, of course, in turn is good for my business. But they lost Oregon and Washington because they didn't do their job the way the Big 12 did its job. And all I need to do is point to exactly what you mentioned. Oklahoma and Texas, I'm sorry, are bigger brands than both USC and UCLA. They're two of the biggest brands in the history of the sport. And and they lost them. And you're right. Everyone said the Big 12 is going to die on a vine. Well, they brought in Brett Yormark after really Bob Bowlesby did a nice job. I mean, a really nice job of stabilizing the presidents and ADs in that league and the aftermath of losing Oklahoma and Texas. And the thing that Bowlesby was saying to those guys was, hey, look, yeah, we're losing Oklahoma and Texas. But remember, they were getting a bigger share than you anyway. What's going to happen now is we're going to bring in new members. And the next TV deal, you'll get more money than you were getting when Oklahoma and Texas were in the league. That's exactly what they got. They're getting millions more now at schools like Oklahoma State, Kansas, Kansas State, Baylor, and so on, than they ever made when Oklahoma and Texas were in the league. Uh, and, and they're doing it with additions from the American Conference, and they're all successful programs that have invested big. Tillman Fertitta and the people at Houston, brand-new stadium, he's spending money. Dana Hogerson's got pressure to win this year. I mean, he does. All right, then you look at, Cincinnati, two years removed from a playoff berth, only group of five program to do that. Wow. Okay. And then UCF, a team that went undefeated when Frost was there, and they were so pumped up after they beat Auburn in a New Year's Six Bowl game in Atlanta, they printed out national championship T-shirts, uh, a float, got themselves a title ring, and here they are marching into the Big 12. And they're out recruiting with- everybody in the new Big 12. Yeah. And then, and then BYU, who I believe will have the most instant success because of their history, tradition, and the, the impact of not just a national audience, but an international audience. Um, you know, the Church of Latter-day Saints and its influence and impact in terms of people watching from a global point of view, Big 12 football, is going to be enhanced. And not too long ago, I remember people saying, oh, the, the whole Church of Latter-day Saints thing is a negative for some of these leagues. I don't know that BYU could, could – and, and they wouldn't have existed, by the way, in the Pac-12. That would have never happened. BYU could never get into the Pac-12. 
because of the differences, okay, in the way the administrations view themselves as academic institutions, okay? And yes, to some extent, the politics of the states that they represent. There was no way that a school like BYU would get into the Pac-12. The Big 12, uh, the, the Pac-12, the Big 12 was more than welcoming. Oh yeah, absolutely. We'll let you in. You say you don't want to play on Sunday? That's not going to happen. Don't worry about it. We'll make it work. They were going to do everything in their power to make it work. And so here you are with those four programs. And you could you could take four more, okay, of similar value, and it still wouldn't equal what OU and Texas as a tandem would bring to your conference, right? I mean, they wouldn't. But for the business of college football and where the Big 12 is right now, with what TCU did a year ago, what Kansas State has been doing and did also a year ago in winning the league, to go along with what Texas Tech is in the middle of launching under Joey McGuire and Baylor's success story continuing with Aranda after a little bit of a hiccup year, a year removed from being almost in the college football playoff, the league is dynamite and it's balanced and it's going to be really good for a really long time. And I think it is now, it's kind of, um, it's taken a while. Even some of the elitist fans in the SEC who love to look down their noses at the Big 12 have to admit that the Big 12 now has overtaken the ACC without a doubt and is the third most influential conference in college football. Uh, and, And now Jim Phillips, the commissioner of the ACC, he's having to deal with seven programs that don't want in and are stuck in a, in, a, in a television deal till 2036 that they can't buy their way out of. And, and Florida State is openly going into private equity to try to get a loan to buy themselves out. And there's no, there's no guarantee that any league really would want Florida State right now. I mean, there's still a lot that's got to be done, most of it you know, with the ACC and, of course, with those, those four teams left out west, what's going to happen with them. Uh, and I'm sure we'll discuss that a little bit, but but the Big 12 asserted itself in a huge way, and uh, along with just the, the 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 poor leadership of the Pac-12, it was the Big 12 that was responsible uh, for kicking the Pac-12 to the curb. They just beat them from a business point of view every way you you possibly could. It was like your your mark coming from NASCAR. Uh, lapped the field about 20 times against the Pac-12 in a 500-mile race. Boogity, boogity, boogity. Uh, great job Ooh. by uh, Brett Yormark uh, for what he was able to do and where this league is headed from this point. I- I'm certainly excited. You mentioned those Pac-4 that are still trying to figure out their situation, Stanford, Cal, Oregon State, <laughs> and Washington State. It doesn't really look good for any of those programs right now. What is the end game, you think, for those schools? Well, I mentioned the ACC issues. I think that's the problem for Stanford and Cal. I know there have been some overtures between uh, the leadership of those two schools and the ACC. But, uh, you know, the, the elephant in the room for Jim Phillips, the commissioner of the Big 12, is while he's talking to Stanford uh, and, uh, and to Cal, Everybody knows that he's got Clemson, Miami, uh, Virginia. Virginia, I mean, everybody's in line with Florida State. It's just Florida State's the only one talking. Florida State's the only one going public with the fact that they want to get the hell out. 
Right. But they all they all agree that they want out because they're stuck in a bad TV deal that lasts all the way to 2036. And by the way, what's the reason for that? The reason for that is because when they did their last television deal, uh, what they wanted to do, was it was just, I mean, think about this. They, they wanted a, a cable network so badly that they want a cable network that they were willing to sacrifice the dollar value of the network rights that they had for, for college football. ESPN finally just said, okay, you want a cable network so you can say you've got what the SEC has. Okay, we'll give you your cable channel. But you know what? We want to extend this contract by at least we at least 10 more years. <laughs> and so they can't get out of this grant of rights until 2036 unless they come up with 75, 80 million dollars. I mean, that's that's too big a chunk of money. They're stuck. They're absolutely stuck in a bad TV deal. And it's all because the presidents, and I remember this well because I was doing ACC basketball at the time. I was still working the tournament for Raycom. John Swafford's a good man. Uh, he had pledged to his presence on his way out that he would get them a cable channel. That's what they all wanted, you know, trying to keep up with the Joneses and the SEC. At a time when people your age and younger were cutting cable cords, no one wants to watch cable anymore, okay? Right. The, reason, the reason you have cable, the reason why uh, FS1 exists and is still getting good games is because – Fox needs another platform to put the volume of games they have on. That's why FS1 is there, okay? Because you've got to have channel platforms beyond just Big Fox to put your inventory on. That's why FS1 exists. Uh, Ten years from now, okay, when when I've probably retired and out to sea in my boat trying to get a, a, you know, a a yellowfin tuna to bite, Cable will be a thing of the past. It'll be digital. It really will be. It'll be digital television and linear network television uh, covering college football. Uh, Cable is dying on a vine. When my generation, when the baby boomers become too old to watch television anymore, okay, and I'm trying to put that off for a while, I'd like to think that I could watch TV for another 15 or more years, but I'm uh, listen, I'm 67. When my age group dies off and your age group becomes uh you know the in their prime you know you're in your mid 40s cable will be history okay it will all be digital or it'll be over the air linear television and you know big time network television is still the thing though that's what that's what the pac 12 that was the hard lesson they had to learn as big a deal as digital is it's not big enough now to supplant deals with fox and espn it, it's big enough to say, uh, okay, we're going to put a package of games on. Okay, it's it's big enough to be Thursday night NFL. It's not big enough to do playoff games right. in the NFL. Uh, same would be true in college football. It's big enough to have a package of games, but it's not big enough to be your lead show pony for any major conference. Well, and, mm-hmm. and on top of that, Timmy B, too, um, the Big 12 and Big 10 SEC hitching their wagons to ESPN and, and, and Fox – are saying like, hey, when that time comes, if cable's dead, we trust you to figure it out. ESPN Plus is growing dramatically. Right. <clears throat> Fox, they know what they're doing digital-wise. Like, right. we know you're going to figure it out one way or the other. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Right. yeah. 
But I mean, no, nobody, the, the, the networks like the Big Ten Network and the, and the SEC Network, they provide a service to their fan base. Okay. Right. If you're a, if you're a big time fan of those schools in the SEC, man, oh man, it's great to have the SEC network. And, and the Big Ten Network provides the same service for its plethora of fans in the most populated area in the country. So those channels really do very, very well. Financially, they do. But the ACC was always too fragmented uh, and, and, and did not have the same history and tradition in football that either the Big Ten or the, uh, or the SEC had. And they just got caught up, this feeling, this need that they had to have a, a network with their name on it to rival their, their friends that they play golf with in the SEC, and it just was not a good business decision. It no. just wasn't. And, no. and this is why they find themselves uh, in the position they're in. To answer your question more specifically about Wazoo and Oregon State, Stanford, yeah. let, me, let, me, let me throw this out. Let's not forget that the Mountain West Conference with a lot of good teams, okay? Uh, I mentioned San Diego State. They won 10 games a year ago, didn't win their own league. Fresno State did. Uh, and they came back after losing their, their quarterback to injury, a devastating injury to do it. Um, San Diego State, uh, you know, they, they, they thought they were going to the Pac-12. Remember that? Got okay. a letter, sent it. Then all of a sudden they found, whoop, they, they look a little wobbly over there. I think we're going to renege that deal. They sent the letter back to the Mountain West, think we'll stay here. Well, San Diego State, Fresno State, Boise State, these are all teams that are pretty successful in college football. They really are. And the Mountain West does have a linear television deal with Fox. The American Conference, my friend Mike Oresco, the commissioner there, he got completely raided by the Big 12. So what does he do? He goes and gets other teams in metropolitan areas that can supplant them and the American Conference has the best deal among the group of five schools in television. They get roughly eight to ten million dollars annually, which is nothing to scoff at if you're at some of those schools. Uh, and and oh, by the way, the opportunity exists for either of those two conferences to get involved with those four left in the Pac-12. And whichever conference does can make their TV deals worth more money. So I, I keep an eye on the commissioners of the Mountain West and the, and the American because the potential of getting those four schools out of the Pac-12 that are left behind uh, of joining them is very real. There yeah. are no more linear TV deals out there, right. all right, because the networks, uh, the one I work for and Disney, um, they are being as uh, judicious with their budget as possible because – in their portfolios, they both want what? The college football playoff. That next agreement is being negotiated over the next 18 months to start in the year 2026. And rest assured, when they get that TV deal, it'll at least be 12. But I will predict for you right now, after one season of a 12-team playoff, they'll see how much money they're going to leave on the table if they don't go to 16. I think we'll have 16 teams in the first TV deal in 2026 because there's way too much money to be leaving uh just leaving on the on the deck when it's there yeah. you don't have to extend the calendar at all you just have the top four teams playing at home against teams 13 14 15 and 16 it's an additional home game it's additional revenue a lot more eyeballs and i think that's going to happen well 
uh, ESPN knows that they cannot financially take that on any longer by themselves. Right. And Fox, Fox is the, the other entity that's invested the most in college football. So I think that's why the Pac-12 could not find a, a TV deal with either one of those. And NBC and CBS are in the business of carrying college football, but they're getting their deals through Fox and the Big Ten. Right. Okay, not they're not bidding on this themselves. It's like a sublease. Fox gets the deal, then they negotiate with the other networks. They take games two and three, and we move on. And the Big Ten is on from dawn until almost midnight now, uh, beginning this season and and next. Yeah. So all that money that dried up and left the Pac-12 with only a, an Apple deal on the table was a byproduct of knowing and understanding the business, you better get that money now because it's going to be gone later. That's why Brett Yormark did such a hell of a job. He knew he only had so much time to get those deals done. And once he was finished, the well had run dry for the Pac-12. Well, we got a little bit of time left. So I'm going to ask you two questions back to back and you can lead into them from there. First off, uh, the Notre Dame factor. How does that play into all of this what's their future look like and then as a wrapping up as well what 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 do you think of just the big 12 football season ahead how's this conference Mm -hmm. there in 2023 start with notre dame though well no notre dame is in a great spot as always the the golden domers always are uh when jack swarbrick stepped down and he was uh replaced by a, a very strong television executive from nbc i was not surprised at all uh, and it also worked out beautifully for Notre Dame that NBC got the primetime uh, game from the Big Ten because now Notre Dame can marry its home games uh, uh, next door to the Big Ten that could be the lead-in to the Big Ten primetime game, which is going to bring, I think, more viewership to Notre Dame yeah. for their package of games. So they're in a great spot. I don't foresee them uh, going into a conference, at least for the foreseeable future. Uh, the Big 12 is just going to be awesome. I, I I cannot wait. My first game in the Big 12, Spencer and I, let me give you the rundown real quick. We start with San Diego State and um, Ohio U, which will really be a fun game. Both teams predicted to buy for their conference titles. Uh, the following week, we're doing a Friday game on September the 1st. Central Michigan, another favorite in the MAC, will be at Michigan State. And Michigan State, cannot afford to lose a home game to the Chippewas coming off a of five and seven Mel Tucker. He's got a team in transition. He's got a transfer coming into quarterback. They, you know, the, the, the great season that he had that first year and the money that he made as a yeah. result, the pressure's on for him to make sure that they take care of business at home in that game. So that's the game we have on Friday, the first, uh, then the following week, we're at USC. Stanford comes in to play the Trojans. It'll be game four of a quadruple hitter on Big Fox that week. But our first Big 12 game, uh, and I just cannot wait for this one, Houston's home opener in the Big 12 against TCU. And I think TCU will be undefeated at that time. I think they'll take care of Colorado. I think they'll be in good shape uh, at going into that matchup. And I think they've got a chance. TCU's got a chance. Uh, Hear me out when I tell you this. I I really believe, Tyler, that they've got a chance to repeat if Chandler Morris stays healthy. 
They've got great skilled people. Uh, their defense is, I think, going to be better than people realize. They lost Kendra Miller, yes, and 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 Duggan, no doubt. But Chandler Morris had that job a year ago and was replaced because of injury by Duggan. Right. Uh, I saw I saw him perform at the highest possible level the first game Gary Patterson was gone at TCU when they kept they beat Baylor, a Baylor team that was on its way to the college football playoff. Had they beaten TCU that day and then beaten Oklahoma the following week at home, which they did, but Baylor. Uh, you know, they went on to win the the conference championship when they beat Oklahoma State. If they had won that game with TCU, Tyler, they would have gone to the playoff. Yeah, they would have. Uh, so TCU could be really, really good again. Uh, people say to me, "Who's going to be the the this year's TCU?" And I'm like, "Well, it could be TCU." TCU. Uh, but but Kansas State is, I think, a stronger team. They return more talent. I love Will Howard, the quarterback. Uh, yeah, no Deuce Vaughn, but they got plenty of good backs. And you know this about Chris Kleiman teams. They don't beat themselves. And I have full confidence that uh, the two big kahunas, the two brands, are going to find rough sledding when they go on the road. Oklahoma and Texas, are, they get targets on their backs everywhere they go. And uh, they'll have trouble at Texas Tech. They'll have trouble at Kansas State. They'll have trouble uh, with Baylor. Uh, and obviously with TCU, you don't – those teams are just – I can't get over how the, the the AP poll and the coaches poll can always put the brand names ahead of those teams that have owned them recently. Right. Texas hasn't won the league since 2009. Uh, they've had three losing seasons since 2010, and yet they're still picked to win it. Uh I mean, yeah, you look at that Texas team, Tim. It's just on, on it's, paper, that's the most talented team in the league. But I well, yeah, I haven't yeah, seen, that seen it, it done with right. Yeah, I mean, I see all the five stars like everybody else does. It's voting in the AP poll, but I haven't seen any results. Right. I mean, I haven't seen any results. And uh, if you can't beat Kansas State, Texas Tech, uh, and you can't beat uh, Oklahoma State, which Texas not been able to beat Oklahoma State either. I mean, I'm not going to go there. I think they are overrated. They are this year's Texas A&M. And the other team that's overrated, I can't get over it, uh, even though they've got the returning Heisman winner. Uh, how is Utah ranked that far behind USC? They beat them twice a year ago. Right. Cam Rising's coming back for a seventh year to quarterback that team. Uh, oh, by the way, Bo Nix is in his, I think, 12th year as a college quarterback at Oregon. Oregon is a better team than USC, but it's all about the brands with these polls now. The AP and the coaches' polls are both jokes. They don't take into account schedules, where teams play, where the sandwich games are, any of that. It's like no thought process is in the minds of those voters other than, all right, how many five stars, what's the name of the school, and how many returning lettermen? Okay, we're putting them there. That's all it is. It's 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 a joke. It's It's the dumbing down of uh of college football's preseason and What's we the see term it you use in the, each uh, passing year the pure playoff privileged pure playoff privilege yeah the three p's <laughs> and these are these are those teams they want to set it up as long as we have four teams it's going to be this way yeah the, the, the voters are going to have to work a little bit just like the committee is going to have to finally work a little bit when we go to 12 teams and and i can't wait for that to happen 
Anyway, the college football needs it uh, like the Pope needs holy water. I mean, <laughs> we we absolutely need this 12-team format, and I think we'll go to 16 soon after. Timmy B, uh, hope to see you sometime this season, my friend. Appreciate the time. Definitely be watching on Fox and FS1 this season. And uh, I got to say, too, I love the uh, the KU helmet in the background, too. <laughs> Lance Leipold took care of me, man. Uh, and you see, you notice the other one I got up there is my, my pick to win it all. Michigan. Okay. I picked Michigan uh, in my preseason top ten to win it all. Now, a little bit like Georgia, their non-conference schedule sucks out loud. But you know what? They know who they are. They've got an identity. And despite Harbaugh's um, uh, quirkiness, I think the fact that he's out for four games to start is only going to put a boulder on their shoulder. And they're well, going to play with now. even greater intensity. Yeah. 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 He's, uh, he, he's, he's only going to miss the games. He's not missing any practices. But I'm telling you, I just think Michigan, it's their year. And, uh, and I do think that we're going to see some surprises uh from from group of five teams whether it's uh Tulane or South Alabama somebody is going to come out of uh those flying the ointment leagues and uh and make for a lot of fun and a lot of pressure and a lot of anger angst and bitterness oh my among the blue bloods <laughs> check them out on Fox FS1 also on Twitter at Tim Brando and He'll be uh, doing his on Brando's uh, with commentary throughout the football <laughs> season as well. Timmy B, appreciate the time as always. We'll talk in soon. You got it, Tyler. Anytime, my friend. Time for Coach Bo's Football Fix, presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. You can go to O'ConnorAdvisorGroup.com as well as OAGKS.com for the latest happenings at O'Connor Advisory Group. And, Coach Bo joins us right now. He's also the host of the Coach Bo Knows podcast out each and every week, wherever you listen to podcasts. Bo, uh, I got to ask you, I'm sure you have some thoughts about this stuff going on with Michael Michael Orr as not only the, the SEC guy you are and Ole Miss hater, but just from the financial aspect as well, this is pretty fascinating with a conservatorship. I think everybody got a lot more familiar with, with conservatorships with Britney Spears. Uh, What do you make of everything of what we know right now? Yes, there's a lot going on and a lot to unpack. You know, when this movie came out, the Blind Side movie came out, Michael O'Hara had said that that wasn't exactly the story. There was some creative license taken. And he made a comment, and it was really in passing, that it wasn't really like mainstream that he made some of those comments. And then now we're seeing with the conservatorship and some issues there um, that Michael Hurry, he it's not exactly what he was uh, told was going on when he was young. And uh, the things that we know of through the movie are clearly not correct. Right. Um, you know, it was it wasn't just a rich family taking in a poor kid who they wanted to help. It looks like it. There was some purpose to this, is what it looks like now. And um, that's too bad. I I don't know all the sides, and I don't know what's true and what's not. And, you know, I like to say that, that everyone, a feeling is always the truth. You know, it's just whatever your feeling is, nobody can take that from you. I can't speak to what that couple did, and I can't speak to what, Michael Lord is going through, but 
I do think this is just all kind of batshit crazy. It's it, it would be best for these two sides to be separated and to have no business together ever again. And it goes to show that if you have a situation with conservatorship, you really have to act as a, what we call a fiduciary. You know, as an advisor, I'm a fiduciary. I have to act on behalf of my client's needs first um, and always. And I think that sometimes we see this with conservatorships, with estate planning and those sort of things, where you do see sometimes someone, it's not necessarily acting or behaving badly or incorrectly. It's just not doing it in the way that the conservatorship or the fiduciary responsibility is supposed to be. And I think that's what's happened here is that whomever is in charge of this whole thing has really done a poor job with their fiduciary responsibility, which needs to be for Michael. Right. First and foremost. I look at it this way, Bo. They say that the truth usually lies somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And part of me is like, okay, yeah, it does seem fishy. You Kind of like in the movie, too, where the NCAA agent is wondering, did you just bring him in to try to help him go play college football at Ole Miss and benefit you that way, go to the NFL. But then part of me on the other end is like, hey, why is Michael Orr just now, all these years later, making a big deal of this? Like, did he blow his money in the NFL? Like, what's going on here? To me, that's like, I wonder, of that truth meeting somewhere in the middle, there's, there's a lot to unpack on both sides here. Yeah, you know, that's the other thing that's kind of a misnomer about guys who play in the NFL or any really any professional sports. There's this misnomer that they're all rich, that they've all made so much money and that um, that they've, you know, um, made so much money and they'll make all this money for the rest of their life. And that's just not the facts. I mean, I was with a couple of professional athletes just three weeks ago at an event, and neither of them are broke or poor, but they don't make hundreds of millions of dollars. Maybe you get lucky and you make a couple of million or a few million dollars, which for anybody that says that's not a lot of money, it is a lot of money, okay? It's a lot more than most of us are going to make. But someone who makes, let's say, five million bucks, someone who makes that much money, then you are... You know, you got to pay an agent. You got to pay taxes. You're in a higher tax bracket. You got to pay an agent. You got to pay for everything that goes involved with that. And there are some things that can be deducted, some things that can't be. It is just, it's interesting to me that we all think that professional athletes are just all multimillionaires. It's the same thing with, you know, any kind of performance, you know, actors and actresses. And everything else that we've seen, you know, like we're seeing that with the with the with the SAG and Astra strikes right now. Everyone assumes, not everyone, a lot of people assume these that everyone in these companies um in these um in these unions are rich, and they're just not. Some are struggling and they're trying to get by. And with, you know, it's the same thing with football. I just looked it up. Michael O'Hara has made $34 million over his career. 
That was his career earnings. That's a lot of money. That's more than 95% of your listeners are going to, and I'm probably being conservative on that number, are going to make in their lifetime. Yeah. Certainly more than I'm going to make in my lifetime. And when you look at that and you go, okay, $35 million, where does that go? Well, we know 5% off the top with the management of some sort. You know, the tax man came into about 40% of it. You know, and then you got everything else. And then you're an athlete, what ends up happening? You know, every cousin comes out of the woodwork. Every friend comes out of the woodwork wanting something. You know, it's, to me, it's something where, again, who I my guesstimate on this is whoever acted as the fiduciary for the conservatorship here probably did a poor job when it was all said and done. And Michael probably hasn't been good with his money. Yeah. If he's making a, a case out of this now. Right. Yeah, yes. it's, all, it's all a very good point, uh, Bo. Yeah. And uh, he's been out of the league since 2016. 2016 was the last time he played. So, right. So, I think 2020. Seven years later, we're sitting there going, yes, I count on my fingers. Uh, it's that late. Uh, but seven years later, you know, you got to spend money. you got to and go through it. I don't know what he's done post-career. I don't know how he set himself up. You know, I'm fortunate to have a couple of athletes as clients, and they work. They work for a living. Yeah. And, it's you know, what they made in the beginning was that was their retirement money is the way they looked at it. And part of that was because I was their advisor. And they went, yeah. I said, look, you're never going to make this again. You're not going to, there's never going to be a time in your life where you're going to make this much money. I was like, just put it away now. Yeah. Live poor, live differently now. You'll have the money to be in the backside. It's worked. Oh, yeah, definitely so. Uh, Bo, we'll start on the NFL side of yeah. things. Uh, Dalvin Cook going to the New York Jets. Reese Hole is now activated as well. Obviously, he's coming back from an ACL injury. Dalvin Cook, I think, still was really good last year. Had over 1,000 yards for the fourth straight season. There's kind of this misconception about Dalvin Cook that because he got released that he's washed or doesn't have anything left in the tank. No, the, the Vikings just didn't want to pay him is all it yes. came down to. Uh, yeah. The Jets are getting a very good running back. And Brees Hall, who was fantastic before that ACL injury, all of a sudden Aaron Rodgers has got to be a happy camper because they might end up having the best run game in the NFL. They got some problems with the O-line, but the backs, that's about as good as you can get. Yeah. So I was watching earlier this week um... – um, what's his name on ESPN? Um, oh God damn it! I can't think of his name now. Um, the New York guy, not Stephen A. Smith, the other morning guy with him. Um, oh, Greenberg. No. Um, oh God dang it! What's his name now? Now I'm forgetting. Anyway, uh, they're making a big deal out of you know. Well, yeah, Dalvin Cook got cut. Nobody wanted him. Mad Dog, Mad Dog Russo, Russo Mad, dog, was saying, yeah. Mad Dog was saying it. Nobody wanted him. That's the problem. And no, that's not what the problem was. This is clearly the league saying we're not putting value on running backs. We talked months ago. When did we decide we thought that some of these guys were going to sign when training camp started? It was going to be someone was going to be clear to say we're going to need some help. How do you get help? Well, these two guys are going to be available. Talk about Zeke and Dalvin Cook. And so, like, when, Ru when Mad Dog Russo says that, you know, no one wanted Dalvin Cook, plenty of teams wanted Dalvin Cook. It was a matter of making the books work. 
and making sure that, that you didn't get caught up in the long-term contract. You can argue that nobody wanted him in a long-term deal. That I'll listen to. That's more to do with the position and not the player. I think mean, Dalvin Cook in there with Brees Hall is a winning a winning proposition for the Jets. I got a little worried about the Jets' offensive line. I know Aaron Rodgers just said that he doesn't think it's going to be that big a deal. I've got some worries there. You do have to have a good offensive line to run the get to run the ball. But in the end, I you got a two headed monster, and we'll see what happens. And the two headed monster, I like Brees Hall a lot. He's an every down back. And Cook is in every down back. So you're not going to be telling on yourself offensively by your formation and your people on the field. You know, you're not going to all of a sudden walk up, oh, Cook's on, they're going to run. Oh, Brace is in, they're going to throw. That isn't necessarily how it is because either of them can play it either way. Right. Well, and then two headed monsters. So. Aaron, you know, his big complaint, obviously, was the lack of skill position talent in Green Bay and not having the first-round players. Yeah. And you see what they have now with the New York Jets with the likes of Garrett Wilson and Brees Hall and yeah. um, you know, just going on down the line. I mean, they're just, they're just loaded at these skill positions. Um, there's, there's no excuses now for Aaron, right? I mean, and, and – to his credit, he took a pay cut so they could bring in guys like Dalton. But, I mean, now it's up to him if he can put it all together, right? Yeah. This is this is the best pack of players Aaron Rodgers has ever had put around him. Yeah. It's on him now. He's going to have to play. If he plays at the level he was at two seasons ago, they're going to be hard to beat. Yeah. And I don't know that – I don't know how good this is going to – the issue is – He's also in maybe the hardest division. Yeah. I mean, every team is good in that division. Buffalo's exception. Miami is really good, the playoff contender. And then you want to bet against Bill Belichick? I mean, that's hard. So that you figure on that six games on your 17 team roster, 17 game roster right there. That's going to be tough. Plus, you're playing. You know, I got to look at their schedule, but I'm sure they've got other teams that are playoff teams in there as well. Yeah, it's going to be a difficult road navigating and trying to, because what you're trying to do right now is figure out how do we win the division. And and that's going to be difficult. The team that comes out of that division is going to be battle-tested for sure. Definitely. Rodgers gives them as good a chance. Rodgers, that offense, though, gives them as good a chance as anybody else in that division. Right. And that defense ain't bad. Speaking of that division, uh, the New England Patriots bring in Ezekiel Elliott this week, and uh, he's going to be the number two back behind Ramondre Stevenson. And I look at that team, Paul, I mean, there's some decent talent. Juju's not bad. Devontae Parker, Hunter Henry, Mike Jasicki. I mean, you know, Mac Jones, of course. Like, they got some decent players. But even – I like the signing of Zeke, don't get me wrong – but they still don't have any great players on that offense. It's it, no, it's don't. like if I brought, you know, had a buffet of fast food, not a bad meal, but I want fine dining if I'm going to have the best. Yeah, it, it's. I think it's difficult right now to build a team like that. I mean, you look at it, every team in the league has its holes. 
when it comes to having top echelon players at positions. The biggest problem I think New England has is they don't know what they have from the signal caller yet. I mean, he they know better than we all do right now, but I I'm a little worried. I like Mac Jones. I believe he will not make a lot of mistakes, but I don't know that he's good enough to make them competitive playoff wise, championship wise. And that's going to be a difficult road, especially again, like we just talked about in that division. You know, there's some pieces. There's a lot of good pieces. I, I don't disagree. <clears throat> I don't think you have to have the one major piece if you have the quarterback. We'll see what that quarterback is. I don't think he's – I don't know if he passes our test yet. Yeah. We'll I mean, that's where I'm at with him. Yeah, I agree. He's, uh, at, he's at the line somewhere. I don't know if he's above it or below it. As far as Zeke goes, um, I think he's fine in the role, right, for what yeah. New England is looking for. Steven sends your bell cow. Yeah. Zeke, he, he's, he's slow as hell now, but he's still a good short yardage and power back. We saw that last year when yeah. he had 12 rushing touchdowns and he was their go-to uh, red zone guy. I, I think that's a, that's a good fit for him. I think it is too, and I think and and I like Ezekiel Elliott. I my my gripe with Ezekiel Elliott, and I've said it here before, has been I don't know how much he's grown up. Mm. He's immature. Now, has this off season matured him? Knowing that he wasn't welcome back to Dallas, right. you know, did that sink in? And knowing that he had to wait this long and then get a one year deal, you know. Does that help sink in and give him an idea of what he's doing and where he's going? Right. You know, that's that's my concern. Short yardage back, and with Belichick's done over the years, he's kind of filled those guys in. Zeke will do well in that role. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, another NFL note here. Uh, I want to head to Baltimore. Uh, Marlon Humphrey underwent foot surgery. Top corner, three-time pro bowler. He's expected to miss – the first couple weeks of the season at the very least. Uh, and the injuries are stacking up for that Ravens team. Bo, they're, they're hip, they have six corners, six that are injured right now that are not practicing. Yeah. I've never heard of such a thing. How does a team operate like that? Yeah, I don't know what's going on there. Maybe something in the water. This is a very popular pick of an ascending team. With the addition of Odell Beckham, with, you know, Lamar getting his money, people thinking that, you know, realizing he is a top-tier guy, you know, will he bounce back from last year? And if he can stay healthy, they'll certainly be competitive in every game. Um, You know, to me, that's interesting. I don't know what's going on. And they don't have enough room with their talent or lack thereof in certain areas to, to deal with the injury bug. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I don't think anyone is going to survive, you know, be able to handle six cornerbacks down. You know, that's going to be a problem wherever you're at. And, yeah. uh, Baltimore's no exception there. Uh, moving on to uh, college football, the uh, realignment latest. We were talking a lot about it with, with Tim Brando a few moments ago. But let me ask you this, uh, Bo, with what we've heard now, according to reports, you know, things have uh, settled down a bit on the realignment of the waters have, have calmed. 
We hear the reports yeah. the SEC and Big Ten are settled for now. Brett Yormark, the Big 12 commissioner, says that they're good with 16. They're not going to grab up UConn or Gonzaga as basketball-only members, that they are what they are. Um, Bo, I've, I've heard this before, though. Do you believe that these commissioners are actually done for now, or is there still more movement coming up here in uh, in this period? I don't think there's more movement now. I, I I think what the biggest thing now is going to be is everyone's going to be stopped to see what happens with these seven teams in the ACC. How can they get free? And if they can, then I think, and we won't see it happen. We will not see the first step. It'll go all the way to these teams are being added all at once. This is all going to go on behind the scenes. And then all of a sudden we'll be like, whoa, this all happened. So that's, that's kind of where I'm seeing this now. But it's going to be about those seven teams trying to – there's seven schools that want to sue to get out and trying to figure out what is their legal angle to get out of here, out of the ACC. Um, once they've got representation telling them that um, they've got a, a pathway to get out, then I think we'll start seeing the deal making. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Uh, but I think the ACC is going to get attacked next. I do too. And it almost feels like, Bo, that <laughs> we almost know the outcome already, don't we? Like, yeah. Florida State, Clemson feel like natural fits for the SEC. Miami, I think, could go either way. Um, North Carolina and Virginia are probably Big Ten. Like, you can that might be the more predictable thing of what's to come here. Like Miami, I think is the, is going to be the, the great unknown uh, uh, prize that's ahead that you might have the big 10 and sec going back and forth for. Yeah. I think the, the one that we don't know, the, the ones we don't know about Miami is one that everyone's going to want. Right. Um, I think there's a chance that North Carolina and Virginia are going to be someone that the SEC and the Big Ten um, are going to want. And I think they're going to have some say on where they get to go. So that'll be, you know, interesting with that. Um, Do you think that we're going to see much of this team wants to stay together with this team, some of those those deals being done? Do you think, like, for example – we mentioned that the Big Ten's probably not going to be interested much in Florida State with them not being an yeah. AAU institution and, and and all that. But Miami would be very attractive to the Big Ten. Yeah. Do you do you see a situation where Miami and Florida State say we have to go somewhere together, or is it? Or do you think it's still kind of what we've been seeing, every man for themselves? You know, I think in the last round, not this last just happened round, but. The realignment stuff that happened, you know, three, four, five years ago, I think there was a lot of that. I think there's a lot less of that now. I mean, if you look at what Oregon and Washington just did, they just left their in-state team behind. You mentioned it, it was a great question about two or three weeks ago we are talking about this. And you said, is there any conference that would let somebody go? You know, would the SEC kick out of Vanderbilt? Would, you know, the Big Ten kick out of Indiana or Purdue? I don't see that happening. Those teams just got lucky. 
I don't I do think if there was two teams that wanted to stay together, it would be Miami and Florida State. But I don't think that is going to be a uh, a deal breaker for either school. I think they're both going to look for the best deal for themselves. Florida State's a perfect fit in the SEC. I think Miami is a perfect fit in the SEC. Miami is going to have a little more say than Florida State is. I don't think that North Carolina is going to try to keep any of the Carolina schools, you know, NC State or Duke. I don't really care. So I think, you know, Virginia, Virginia Tech, I don't think they're going to try that either. So I think it'll be less of that moving forward. But if there was going to be one, it'd be Florida State, Miami. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, and with with all that said, uh, as far as where we're at and where we're going on this this uh, this next chapter uh, of, of realignment here, I heard Trey Alberts, the Nebraska AD, former college football great and worked at ESPN for a long time. Uh, Trey Alberts this week said he thinks we're headed towards eventually – one just super college football division of 40 teams. Is really? that the end game here? Or or do you what what do you see? Like or, I see it as so I talked about this on my podcast last week. I think it's I don't know if Trev Alberts is right if it's 40. That would just be the SEC and the Big Ten. They can right. And it would involve I, kicking some people out at that point. Yes, it would, and I don't think that's happening. I don't think you could legally try to kick somebody out. I just think that, I mean, if you're a Purdue or you're Vanderbilt, they kind of got luck. Kind of like how, you know, Iowa State and Kansas State have got to stay around in the Big 12. You know, they were already kind of grandfathered in. They were there. They're all they're OGs. They're in. Um, unless you see something like that, which would have to maintain a humongous bias that nobody's going to put the money up for. Unless that were to happen. I think that what you see is three mega conferences. I think it's three. I think it's the Big 12, the the SEC, and the Big 10. I think they all go to 20. That gives you 60 teams. And we talked a little bit about this already, but you know the, the college football national championship, that's going to be where the big money comes from. The big, big, big money is going to be for negotiating that playoff, which we know is going to get re-upped, and ESPN is going to have it for a couple more years. And I think you are talking about 2026 is the first one they can bid out. Right. That money is going to be crazy money because in comes Amazon, and in comes Apple, and in comes ESPN, and Fox, and CBS, and everyone's going to want a piece of this. And we're going to see – those three conferences are going to be their own level and they'll be able to make their own rules. I would go as far as to say, if I was one of those three commissioners and I was putting it together, I would say, here's the rules. 20 teams per conference. Um, If you want to kick somebody out and get somebody, that's fine. That's on you. You can't do that with Dharma. Um, you know, so the, again, the Purdue's and the Vanderbilt's of the world. From there, we want the playoff to guarantee that our champions in the playoff. The champions will probably get buys in the playoff. Um, but from there, they're going to put together something that says, okay, every conference has to decide their champion the same way. 
And every conference, you're only going to be allowed into your schedule to play one team outside of the 60. And I'll tell you who gets screwed in that deal, and that's Notre Dame. And that's the team that better go find a landing spot. Now, I, I said this on my podcast last week. If I was the Big 12, I'm making two phone calls, and I'm trying to get these two teams. I think I mentioned to you last week, I will try to get Clemson. Clemson's one. I think you can make a deal to get Clemson. I think that'd be a, your premier football team in your league. It makes a lot of sense. There's some people in the SEC that aren't going to want Clemson to come in. And I think the Big 12 can make that work. The other thing I would do if I'm the Big 12, I'd find a way. If that means you got to give them a bigger share, find a way to bring in Notre Dame. I don't think it's likely. I think the Big 10 is the most likely landing spot if Notre Dame ever finds their way to a conference. But that's the one that if somebody else gets them, that's what can make the Big 12 that can assure the Big 12 their spot at that championship table. Yeah. Is to grab Notre Dame and make a deal. I just don't ever see the Big 12 having the money to lure Notre Dame and Clemson, but you know, we'll see. Uh yeah, I, I don't know if they ever will either. And again, that's just my thinking outside the box. And I, I I say that because we've seen that the Big 12 commissioner has been thinking outside the box. Right. He really got after it on this. And now it's going to come down to who wants these ACC schools know how they're going to get out of the of the contract. Once they know they can get out, it's going to be a feeding frenzy. And you're going to have to be fast and be ready to go. So that's where, you know, everybody's kind of like a – like everybody's run the first race. And the Big Ten's out ahead, and the SEC's out ahead, and the Big 12's a little behind, but everybody else is behind them now. And now they're all, everyone's taking a rest, catching their breath. It's halftime. Right. It's halftime in this thing. And there's going to be seven more. I think when I did the math, I think we talked about last week, the Big Ten's at 18 teams. Is that right? Yes. The SEC's at 16. The Big 12's now at 16. Mm Mm-hmm. If you go to 20, that's 10 spots. There are 10 chairs left in the musical chairs game. Who gets those 10 chairs and where do they go? And I think the big two are which ones do the big 10 get? The big 10 is going to have their choice because they have the biggest contract right now. And it's to fill a few more years till the SEC gets to negotiate one. But when you figure on, they really want Notre Dame. I think if they had their if they had their you know opinions and they could give their best to it'd be Notre Dame Miami. I think after that it'd be Virginia North Carolina, and then I think from there everything kind of falls in place. Yeah, um, the UConn and uh, Gonzaga thing. I know that there were some Big Twelve people wanting those two schools uh, as basketball only members or. In UConn's case, they were talked about as being an all-sports member. Bo, I don't see that as the the end of the world, the Big 12 declining those two schools. Like, to me, like, when you were looking at the teams that the Big 12 could potentially add, there was a window of when they could get those four-corner schools. Yeah. They capitalized. They took advantage of that window. 
Same can't be said for Gonzaga and UConn. If if Brett Yormark thinks that the best the basketball contract can get more money in the next deal, then more than likely you can probably wait on Gonzaga and UConn till the next contract to bring them in and see if the dollars add up and figure that out later. Like I, I there's no reason for these Big Twelve schools to take less money to bring those schools in. Yeah, just to hang around for basketball. If, if I think Yormark's got some great ideas, and I think that he's on to something potentially on a basketball-only TV package in the next TV deal, but this is something that you can – I know we talk about being proactive all the time, but that that's actually something you can kick the curb on. I don't think the door is shut on those two teams down the road as basketball members potentially. Yeah, I agree. I think that right now you got to have to put it on hold, though, until you know how the football thing shakes out. Right. There's just too much money with what can be coming with football. Then you go back and fill in the basketball thing after. You know, it has to be priority one has to be football, and it's because of the college football playoff. The college football playoff is going to bring in more money than the NCAA tournament when it's all said and done. This is going to be a ridiculous amount of money they're going to yes. get. I mean, what CBS pays right now for the NCAA basketball is a, is a tremendous, ridiculous amount of money. The price of doing business has gone up. And for football, it's going to be crazy. And especially when Amazon gets involved. Yeah, I think so. Um, but one more thing before we go. Uh, I know you haven't seen the Johnny Menzel documentary yet, but not yet. Uh, I watched it and I got to tell you, I, I liked Johnny as a football player, but the guy was clearly a knucklehead and didn't care about football. That wasn't his number one priority. Um, Bo, I, I look at, at Johnny and the talent was there, and I think he could have been successful in the NFL had he just simply given the damn. I mean, this is a guy, you know, we, we talk about all the time, you know, who's going to be a bust, this, that, whatever. I don't think the talent was the issue. I I, I don't see it, – it never looked like Johnny had the heart, like he was interested in becoming what it took to be a top quarterback in the league. I agree with that statement right there. I absolutely agree. He never had the heart to want to be great. Do I think he had the ability? No. I was one of those people that back on draft day was like, I don't, I don't believe in Johnny Menzel. I saw a little too much of – draw the stuff up in the dirt kind of stuff with Johnny yeah. Manson at Texas a and and I didn't – that didn't work. You know, it worked in a game against Alabama. It worked against lesser competition. You know, it didn't work when he played Florida. It didn't work when he played LSU. It didn't work a few other times. And he was spectacular in that he was this big thing. He's also from Texas, a football-crazy place. A&M, you know, kind of new to the SEC at the time, and this is all a big deal, exactly what they needed going into the SEC. It was a unique time and place for that. But I think that football-wise, I liken him to Tebow, and Tim Tebow in a way, but I never saw that as a guy who I thought would be a great NFL player. I don't think that those skills were there. Now, what we've seen now, and I saw that I've only seen clips. I have not seen the whole show, the whole documentary yet, but I saw the clip where he logged zero study time. Yeah. I don't care who you are. You can't study. You don't know what you're doing. 
you're not going to make it that leap. I mean, it's just, it's an obvious thing where, and again, I've been told kind of a couple different things about the documentary. He was dealing with some depression and he's dealing with, you know, also being the big man on campus. He gets caught up in that a little, a lot. You know, I get that. And I can't go back to being a 21-year-old kid or 20-year-old kid when all this happened too. So I would have been a knucklehead at 20 as well. So I look at it and go, well, okay, some grace has got to be given on that. Where I don't forgive Johnny Manziel is the NFL stuff. Because people were telling him, this is what you're required to do. This is what we need of you. This is a business now. And whether he was because he was a rich kid and didn't really know it, didn't know any better or didn't really wasn't really mature, I don't know and can't speak to that. And I don't know what he has said in the document. Again, I haven't watched it yet. Um, but what I will say is he was a huge disappointment in the NFL, as good as he was in college. But I really think there were certain people that realized he wasn't going to be this guy. You had to have bought into the hype. You know, to give you an example, in this past draft, the four quarterbacks in this past draft, all of them are much better and much better prospects than Johnny Manziel ever was. Johnny Manziel was more likely to be Jamarcus Russell than he was to be Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. I think we knew that going in. And I think that then you go to Cleveland, he wasn't excited. I can't imagine he was excited about Cleveland. Yeah, and he says he was – he hated every minute being there. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's – I get it. But at the same time, buck up, young man. They're paying you a lot of money. And you have the opportunity, if you are good and can prove it, that you can have something really special, whether it's Cleveland or somewhere else late. I mean, I was – I'll give you an example. I was – I was at a Royals game this past weekend. It was the Mizzou night, and Chase Daniel is there. And my wife looked at me. She was like, man, she says, Chase, and we all just grinned at Chase Daniel. Chase Daniel was not a great NFL quarterback, not even really a good one. He was a, a career backup and serviceable when he got in games. Made a ton of money. Made a ton of money. He is the, I call him the king of clipboard money. Yes. That is my nickname for him. The king, the king of clipboard money. A dude made more than anybody being the backup. And he was totally good with that. Even if Johnny Manziel had flamed out in Cleveland, but took on that role, he could have been exceptional in that role. See, so that's one point I was actually going to bring up next is I I think, Bo, there is this state of mind, um, take it for what it's worth, of that team's do not like the show that comes with being a number two quarterback. I think that Manziel, once he blew it there in Cleveland, he wasn't going to get another shot again, not just because of all the mistakes he made in Cleveland, but, like, you don't want that much attention. want your second-string quarterback being the guy that everybody's talking to, not your first-string quarterback. The same thing goes for – you know, Tim Tebow, I, I would say you could even talk Colin Kaepernick to an extent. I, I, yeah. I think that teams don't like that. Their, their number two quarterback 
drawing any noise or any attention. I, I don't think Johnny would have would would have would have worked necessarily because he could have taken away too much from what was really going on. What mattered most? Yeah, yeah I, I agree with that. That think I thinking too. And I just I Johnny Manziel will always be what could have been. Yes. And you know I hope that whatever piece he needs to find, I'm not a fan. I, I'm just going to come out and blatantly say, wasn't a fan of his in college because I'm an LSU guy. Uh, wasn't a fan of the side with the Cleveland and didn't think he was much of a prospect. The way he behaved, wasn't a fan of any of that. Still not a fan. Never going to win me over as a fan. I hope as a human and as a person, this in me, I hope that he finds whatever piece it is he's looking for and can take solace in that and be Johnny Manziel Heisman Trophy winner and have a long life of happiness, maybe a family down the road. I don't know what his situation is with that, but I hope he finds that happiness somewhere because we all deserve that. Yeah. And I don't think that he has hurt anybody. Well, I, I shouldn't say that. I was going to say he hasn't hurt anybody but himself, but he has. Uh, just been the way he's given effort. Hurt, hurts everybody in the organization around him. But hopefully whatever demons he has, he's able to overcome them or he is able to control them in a way that is mentally healthy to him. And that's all I can wish for for him. And yeah, for yeah. Him, I think the, the post-Johnny, now NIL era, way to look at this, uh, Bo, is is this. If you are, you know, a, a fringe professional talent, if there's if, – if you've had a great college career and your identity is in your college career and there's there skeptics about what you're really going to be as a pro, if you're not the obvious pro prospect, but you're the obvious great college talent. In today's NIL era, go maximize being that college talent. Go make that NIL money. Go be the face. Do everything you can. I mean, and then whatever happens in the pros happens to the pros. But take now I think it that's the way to maximize in today's day and age. If you want kids to stay in school, whatever, go be that superstar there yeah. and embrace it. Don't rush the NFL thing if, if that's not what your future is really going to be. Yeah, you have to find that line. There's a, there's a number of guys who are going to try to make the NFL and try to make a career in the NFL. And then there's going to be a few that realize that's probably not my end game. Right. Let me be the hero here. I'll give you a great example of a guy who is the hero in that area now and tried to play in the NFL, was good for a little while, but just wasn't great, was Vince Young. Yeah. If Johnny Manziel can transition the way Vince Young has, he would be so much better off. I mean, Vince Young was okay in the NFL. He was serviceable, but he was never going to be the franchise guy, not at a high level. And when he is done with the league, he puts the money away. And now he works for the University of Texas and does a lot of stuff in the athletic department. And then you know, he's out doing the autograph signings and everything else and corporate events and whatnot. And he's making a great living just being Vince Young. Right. And there is not a goddamn thing wrong with that. And whether that's, you know, Vince Young or Chase Daniel or 
you know, we can all think of someone from our school who is that person. Johnny Manziel, I hope he finds that in him. Right. Because that's what he can be. And not that what might have been. Yeah. So that's why I'm at with Johnny Manziel. Yeah. Well, we're out of time. Uh, appreciate you joining us as always. Uh, what's coming up the podcast this week? Hey, we are going to uh, we're going to get into some of this uh, training camp stuff. Um, we're going to make the big announcement on who my team is for this season. Um, if you listen to last week's pod, I'm down to two teams, uh, but I'm kind of throwing a monkey wrench at everybody this week. So, oh, yeah, yeah, got to listen in to see what it's going to be. I'm not going to spoil it here, and uh, I'm just going to talk. I kind of had a little bit of an epiphany the past week, about fandom. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Is he going back to the Saints? Hmm. That is not, a spoiler alert. That is not what's going to happen. <laughs> His epiphany was not, you know what, I need to be loyal and be a Saints fan. That was not it. No, and I I, I did not watch any of the preseason game against the Chiefs. I didn't watch, not a, not a single play. So I was not pulled back in. And uh, I was talking to my uncle and another friend down in Louisiana. They were like, man, Derek Carr looked good. And I'm like, he's trash. He's trash. He's just, trust me. He's Coach Bo. Check him out. Coach Bo knows podcasts. The Counter Advisor Group, OHEKS.com, OhCounterAdvisorGroup.com. Bo, appreciate the time as always. We'll talk to you next week. My pleasure. Take care, Tom. Talk to you soon. Final segment before we go. It's our Tom Fullery story of the week. Derek Hagelin rejoins us right now as he's standing by as uh, we're going to go a little throwback edition here on uh, Tom Fullery. Somehow this story is a few years old, but it I, we just now stumbled upon it and it's still a great story. It was, it was too good to pass up, not to share, Derek. Yeah. Um, leave it to the Twins organization to do something like this. Um, cause it's been a long time since they've been rel- relevant, um, on a national stage. I mean, you know, uh, little big league came out, uh, in 1994, 1995. So, uh, 27, 28 years since the twins have really been, uh, in the, uh, in the spotlight on a lot of things. Uh, you Great know, movie, by uh, the way. yeah, you know, uh, but, and, uh, Mac, the horse's name is Friday. So. For anyone who understands that uh, that reference, but <laughs> it's just funny with the 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 ten bedrooms. It's fifteen hundred per night at the ballpark, um, but they'll be able to use the field, the batting cage, the clubhouse. Um, what if you want to move your stuff into uh, the 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 manager's office? Like, is his office closed? Doesn't say whether it is or not, um, but it does say you know that balls, bats, and access to the field and helmets are included. How about that? I, I would find somebody. I, I would find somebody. I would find some people to uh, to be able to uh, uh, to go in with me on that. Right. Um, yeah. This is this is pretty fascinating. So the the team here is uh, called the Pensacola Blue Wahoos. I don't know what a blue wahoo yeah. is, but I have, I I have no clue. But a minor league stadium as an Airbnb. Uh, Derek, 
I, I know that times can be tough for teams, but just leasing it out people to stay like the 10 in 10 bedrooms in this place, like it is that's not normal for, for these stadiums to actually have bedrooms. Like I, I did. Don't the chiefs don't the doesn't the hunt family like have a penthouse at Arrowhead? Yeah, it's like a two-level penthouse um, at at Arrowhead. Um, like, literally nobody goes in it. Um, they have their own private cleaning lady, but uh, I think it's like three or four bedrooms. The, 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 the bedroom part of it with showers and everything and, like, a full-service kitchen and everything like that is upstairs, but then the stairs lead directly out to um, where the, the suite that they that the, that the Hunt family and whoever their guests are get to watch – watch the chiefs game do you think clark and, and and gracie and company just like are watching movies and the jumbotron there i wouldn't surprise me i mean i'm pretty sure gracie could probably swing that you know she is the next in line of the bloodline oh uh, i i would i would love to hang out with gracie watch some movies you know? i mean i i know that's where they stayed when when because gracie went to both nights of the taylor swift concert back in july yeah um when 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 she was here um now as far as this this minor league stadium goes um derek what would you do if you were in this in this circumstance if you got to to rent this place out you had a ballpark to yourself for for one night what are you wanting to do in that ballpark oh i would find a bunch of friends and and i would try to recreate scenes from the sandlot that's a great that that would be the first and 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 foremost. Um, I would have to first and I would have to first figure out who's going to be Benny the Jet Rodriguez, um, because if you don't get that casting right, then everything is going to fail from there. Um, then then you can find Smalls, uh, and then everybody else can just be a fill in. But if you don't nail those two castings, um, you're 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 not going to set yourself up for success. So what would you be? Um, I talked a lot of shit, so I would probably be him. <laughs> I would, I, I would definitely say I'm, I'm Hamilton Porter. Um, for what sure. What would I be? Ah, uh, um, I could definitely see you being Squints. Squints. <laughs> um, you could be, you could be Squints or like, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. you, you would be, you would be one of, uh, one of those guys. Okay, um, I'll take it. That's fine. Gotta find brothers to play Timmy and Tommy Timmons, but yeah. um, I, I don't think that would be hard. What I would want to do if I got to, you know, stay a night at a, a stadium, get to lease it, I'd be wanting to to get on the jumbotron to play play a video game, like play Madden or something on the. Oh, big that game. would that would definitely be happening, but the Sandlot would come first. I, that's one thing I've always wanted to do is on a jumbotron be able to play a video game of some sorts. That would be the thing I would be trying to hook up the PlayStation or the Xbox, whatever it may be, and, and do that. Even if what? even if the new Madden game is trash, from what I hear, I, I'll, I'll still give it a shot. Well, and you know, I think Gracie is single, so maybe you can you can swing that. Um... Maybe you she know, want to play video games. Yeah, slide uh slide into her uh her DMs and see what uh um what what happens. Right? 
That'd be great. There could be a lot of potential there, you know. Play you know, keep love alive. <laughs> um, what video game would be your your go to on on a on a jumbotron in this scenario? Oh, here? NBA two K for sure. It'd be NBA two K. Um, can you imagine too, like you know the just seeing the dunks on screen and all that too? I mean. And the and the and the replays and having Kevin Harlan echo throughout a minor league baseball stadium, that'd be great. Yeah, that would be that. That would be that would be that would be that would be top tier for sure. But yeah, no, I would definitely, uh, I would definitely have uh, and be playing two K on there. Speaking of Airbnb, uh, Derek, have, have you had any bad experiences or in, any interesting Airbnb stories of any kind? No, I haven't had a bad, um, I haven't had a bad experience. Um, I, the one thing was one time when I went to visit some people in St. Louis, it was kind of a sketch area. Um, I didn't realize, you know, that East St. Louis was, was closer than I, I had originally thought or, um, anticipated. So, um, that was the only time that I felt like it was a little sketch, um or or had a bad experience i definitely made sure i would i would not be booking in uh in that particular area again yeah or or just avoid st louis altogether too uh, yes there's there's also that um and in those ribs uh, in st louis uh along with uh the uh, emo's pizza are so so trash so overrated right right well and you know congratulations they've got the second most st louis did come up with the second most popular appetizer at, at olive garden the uh, toasted ravioli so they'll always have that good for them um yeah. eric my, oh, my my airbnb horror story of sorts if i i wouldn't classify horror as the right word necessarily but uh when i was in daytona we were there we booked a place for you know three four days and uh -huh. The uh, the Airbnb host did not have enough blankets or towels. He only had three towels for us, and we're like, "How are we supposed to take, like we supposed to use three towels for the for three days? Like like, and, and no access to a washer and dryer either. Like, oh what, shit, what the hell, man! You didn't have access to a washer and dryer. No. Oh my gosh, that's kind of weird. Yeah. Oh yeah, it, it was it was terrible. We uh, it was so bad that we left a day early and went to a hotel and we just counted our losses. Yeah, no, that's what I would do. Did you get any money back at all or no? No, we did not. And we tried. Right. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. That that's was, crazy though. That was a disappointment. I I hated it, um but it kind of is what it is. Um, right. Yeah, that that was something. When uh, now, what about hotels? Any any bad hotels experience? Oh man, I got to think. Um, I had a bad stay in Oklahoma City one time, um, where like the room wasn't clean, mm -hmm. um, and the the sheets looked like they hadn't been washed in days. Yikes! Yeah, that oh. was that was a bad that was a bad one. There's a hotel in Oklahoma City. I can't remember the name off the top of my head, uh, where it is known for having ghosts that like spook people. It's a pretty famous hotel. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, that won't be. I won't be visiting there. Yeah, no ghost encounters, Derek. There. Uh, yeah. For me, the uh, when I went to the Liberty Bowl to go watch KU play Arkansas. Uh, right. If you recall, the city of Memphis had a boil order because they didn't have any hot yep. water for whatever reason. So yep. I ended up booking a hotel outside of Memphis in uh, on the Arkansas side in uh, West Memphis. Little did I know that was the hood. And <laughs> I remember you telling me this. Oh, yes. And for the folks at home listening, uh, this I should have done more research on, on where I was at. Um it was so bad. This is how you know when you're in the hood, folks. Um, and don't take this the wrong way. I'm just being honest with y'all. This is how you know when it's bad. My genius plan that I had going in was, all right, I'm going to park my car at the hotel, drop off my bags, and then I'm going to Uber to the stadium from there. They don't have to worry about parking. And, you know, if I drink and all that, then I'll get home and all that. No problem. It was The hood was so bad there, Derek. The Uber doesn't even come pick you up. I waited 45 minutes and no Ubers were available. Finally, I get in my car, go down the road in like 10 minutes, and I had plenty of Ubers, you know, to choose from, whatever, to come get me. But I remember saying something like that. I remember that now. Yeah. So not staying in West Memphis again. Uh, hopefully, KU doesn't have to go back to the Liberty Bowl. We have some better bowl games ahead. Yes, better bowl games ahead for the future, for sure. No doubt. Derek, uh, we got to run, but uh, as we uh, wrap up, man, what's uh, what's what's going on with you as uh, football season approaches and kind of the stuff you're going to be doing here, man? Not much, man. You know, obviously the renovations and everything coming out uh, was was huge for for that that project of uh, the renovations that KU is going to be doing. But you know, just looking uh, looking forward to an exciting season. Uh, in in Lawrence for KU and then obviously the the Chiefs I'm I'm very excited to know that my Saturdays and Sundays will be booked up uh with with football and uh my life will be back to normal and I won't be having withdrawals that's great same here um big thanks to Tim Brando for joining us uh he was awesome I'm sure he'll be calling some Kansas football and some big 12 games here pretty soon uh give him a follow on social media at Tim Brando uh, you can also uh, follow me on Twitter at Tyler Jones Live, Derek at KU The Hill, uh, and then uh, Facebook.com slash Tyler Jones Live, Facebook.com slash Studio Soapbox, uh, Instagram, Jones underscore report, Tyler Jones Live. You can find us there. Uh, subscribe to the Jones Sport new episodes out each and every week. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find this show and uh, make sure to leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all. And uh, big thanks to Coach Bo as well for hanging out uh, and you, the listener, for being here with us. For Derek Haglund, Tim Brando, Coach Bo, our entire crew of Tyler Jones, thanks so long. It's been another edition of Jones Sport. We'll see you next week.